Our scripture reading this morning is Luke 24, 36-49. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still disbelieving for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and the repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Father, um, as you did for the people who witnessed this event, um, open our hearts, open our minds to the scripture today, and be with Grant as he um, shares with us and uh, help us to Glean from these scriptures, your precious holy scriptures, um, what you would have us learn today. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Thank you, Susan. Oh, kids, go hear a great missionary story. Enjoy. Thanks for being with us in worship. Oh, gosh, a little voice. Bye, Daddy. Come on. <laughs> a whole lot cooler than that. Oh, I tell you, I'm praying for a worship leader, but I like doing it while, while God tarries and giving us one. I needed those songs this morning. How you doing? No, like seriously. <clears throat> doing okay? Got some stresses? Got some stresses in my life, as all of us do. I have a very charmed, way too easy life. I think God gives the toughest, toughest people the most, you know, difficult paths, and so I must be the weakest <laughs> person. <clears throat> but just a lot on my plate this morning, you know, and and then uh, got here. We have a meeting after church, and getting my head around that. Got to print some stuff for it, and the copier jammed, and. About a half hour fighting with, you know, I'm too mature to tell you it's a Xerox machine and um, just fighting with this. Isn't it amazing how you can go from like zero to super frustrated because a piece of metal isn't working? <clears throat> isn't that weird? Like sometimes it's not a Xerox machine though. Sometimes it's a phone call with terrible news and sometimes out of nowhere it's a financial burden that you just weren't expecting. And sometimes it's a family thing. And sometimes you're just, you're just doing fine. <clears throat> and then something happens. And other times you're in a season of difficulty. And there's, you just go, man, it's been a while since I could tell you I was doing okay. It's, it's been a time of, of trouble. And, 
And, um, and I feel it. I feel the time of trouble. And I think we all would go, yeah, I could tell you the years. And some of you are going, yeah, that's, you're singing my tune. That's going on right now. I would really like to, I mean, on one hand, we're just finishing up Luke. Jesus is alive. This is not an overwhelmingly controversial topic in a room like this. So in a sense, we're just like, hey, let's take a couple of weeks and wrap up Luke 24. But I'm just overwhelmed with the way Jesus talks to his disciples in this passage. And I think that there's a lot for us. Obviously, there's a lot for us in understanding the resurrection, but, but in how we actually feel and how we actually live and how we actually process fear and doubt. Um, so there's this line that feels like it's not that big a deal in that Susan just read us. Thank you, Susan, for, for reading. And, but just in, in verse 36, it's like this line where it says, and they were talking about these things, and Jesus himself, again, you're this the second time in, in Luke 24, where uh, it's, I, the Bible was written for you, not to you. It was written to that audience in that time. But you almost feel like, hey, Christians of all time, we're going to need that line. And then not the ghost of Jesus <clears throat> and not an apparition of Jesus, but Jesus himself, bodily Jesus himself is in the room. And um, and as they're talking, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. Look, guys, the first big idea of our day is this. The presence of Jesus announces peace. And I would say, look, that was just a common greeting. Peace to you and peace to you and shalom, shalom, shalom. Which might be true. What else would Jesus say? Yo, what's up? But if you look at how the gospel of Luke is constructed, and you go, wait a minute, Jesus comes announcing peace. Where have I heard that before? In Luke 2, at the very start of this book, the presence of the Messiah comes announcing peace. And I think there's something profound there. Do you struggle with peace? Not, not like the absence of because how the rest of the world has the absence of uh, conflict is just somebody's in charge, right? Like, I either am, I either am uh, winning or losing. Now there's peace. Peace by superior firepower. Whether it's relational or financial or whatever. But actual peace, actual shalom, actually this idea, shalom's not the word there because this Luke is written in Greek, but, but this this Hebrew idea of shalom meaning like wholeness, like everything is okay. There's, there's deep sense of like, I always say like you're sitting on the porch on a fall afternoon, the leaves are blowing, the children are playing, everybody's fine. Shalom, you know what I mean? Very related to tov, which as you know is my favorite word, but this, this feeling of like wholeness. At the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, the presence of Jesus comes announcing that. And at the end of the Gospel of Luke, the presence of Jesus comes announcing that. At least the possibility. You remember the story in Luke 2. I know you do. We have children sing it to us every Christmas. Angels come announcing good news of great joy. Christ the Messiah is born in Bethlehem. Glory to God in the highest and peace on earth. But not just peace on earth, right? 
Peace on earth on whom His favor rests. Peace on earth to those who are in right relationship with God. At least the possibility of peace on earth. Peace because of Jesus' presence. Peace would be available on those with whom God is pleased. And what pleases God but faith, trust, relationship with Him. If you will let Him, God will flood your life with peace. The presence of Jesus is available and peace is available. And I think all of us at some point in our lives would go, not with what I got going on. I mean, maybe that's fine for good church people. There's no such thing as good church people. You're a wreck, right? Me too. Yeah, amen. There's an amen, another amen. Um, but rather, this side of eternity, wholeness is going to be something we only find in the presence of Jesus. In fact, that had always been the kind of the, the covenantal, the Old Testament promises of God had always revolved around, I will be with you. You obey me. Put your trust in me. Don't put your trust in other gods, and I'll bring peace. I'll bring wholeness. Things will be good with you. There'll be peace in that I'll keep the enemies away. There'll be peace in that the crops will grow. There'll be peace in that society will function if you will just keep me in the center of it. And what would be the cause of this peace announced at Christmas time? Well, it's the presence of Jesus. God become man, brand new creation, Emmanuel. The presence of Jesus brings peace. And then here we are at the end of the gospel, at the very end of Luke's gospel, we again have the presence of Jesus and the announcement of peace, of wholeness. Jesus' words in, in verse 36 are not just simply, it's not like he shows up and they freak out, and when he says peace to you, he's going, hey guys, calm down. That's not what's happening. Rather, what's happening is Jesus is coming going, I know what's going on in your heart, and he's going to draw it out of them. I know what's going on in your heart. I know what's going on in this room, and I'm here to announce peace. It's here if you want it. The presence of Christ. Peace. Maybe we should say it this way. Peace is only available after God enters the room. You with me? You can apply that wherever you want to apply it. You can apply it to your living room. You're not going to have peace unless Jesus is the center of your living room. You can apply it to your own heart. You're not going to have peace until Christ is the center of your own heart. You can apply it to your friendships. You can apply it to your business. Unless God, unless Christ is the center of that business, there's not going to be peace. And if you're looking for peace, peace only happens when God enters the room. So, Let's also, while we're thinking about Luke 2, Luke 24, and how they beautifully fit together, in Luke 2, who was it that the annunciation of peace came? It was to the lowly shepherds. We say a lot about that every Christmas. I don't need to work through the whole thing right now, but this is the working class. These that were born into a station of society where peace and joy on the world's terms were not available. The good life was not available. If you would ask common person in Jerusalem, I wonder if they would have answers kind of like common people today, maybe different categories, but if you'd say, hey, how do you have peace and joy? If I just have more money and everybody would shut up, if I just had one more thing, then 
there would be peace and joy in my life. If I could just get rid of this person and add one more, there would be peace and joy in my life. But Jesus does not come announcing peace to people who have access to what the world calls the good life. He comes announcing peace to the working class, the lowly shepherds that have no access to what the world calls a good life. Peace is available right there in those fields with the sheep. And now Jesus comes announcing peace to these huddled, discouraged disciples in this room, hiding for their lives. We'll talk about this as we go, but remember, this is Easter Day. We haven't gone off Easter Day yet. So they are just processing. Have you ever had news like somebody that you were at their funeral just is walking around? We've seen him. You haven't. That would take you more than 24 hours to process. You know, I... And I, I, you know, I shouldn't tell too many personal stories, but my best friend, like all growing up, is a guy named Chad Sluter that I love a lot. I can't wait to see again. Um, and he had cystic fibrosis, and he died when we were 37. And, and uh, yeah, it's okay. He's a Christian. I'll see him again. Uh, but I miss him every day, you know? And I just think, what would happen if somebody was like, Chad Sluter, like 6'2", skinny guy, loves tennis, Laker fan? I'd be like, no, no. No. You saw something else. Wasn't him. Like, I would not immediately go, yeah, sounds right. Remember where they are. They've left their family fishing business to follow this rabbi Jesus. They've left their cushy tax collector job. They've left the violent zealot revolution. The zealots who are going to overthrow the government. That Simon the zealot had left that so he could follow this rabbi of peace. And now the rabbi's dead. We saw him die. We've been hiding. They couldn't be more confused as Jesus stands in their presence. Remember a couple of days ago, Jesus was murdered. But then this morning, some of the ladies showed up and said, hey, the tomb is empty. You're not going to believe this. The tomb is empty. And then some guys came back who had decided to go back home to Emmaus. They decided, <clears throat> they came back and were like, you're not going to believe this. We talked with a resurrected Jesus. Where is he? Don't know. Disappeared. And now here is Jesus. On the same day, same night, has to be night. What to make of all this? <clears throat> Again, the announcement of peace comes not to the halls of power, but in lowly places, to confused and discouraged disciples. Of course, God's peace. And by God's peace, I mean the God reordering our lives so He's at the center, reordering our hearts, reordering everything about us so that He is in the middle instead of all the other chaos of the world, that His might, His power is there. God reordering our lives. Peace, joy, that's available to the lowly. Maybe many people in our culture still feel that the presence of God, that peace and joy are found there, not available to them. And wouldn't it be heartbreaking if some people thought the presence of God was available in this room, but they wouldn't be welcomed if they came. But peace and joy are possible, are available wherever Jesus is. So the obvious question comes, 
Why do we not experience the peace that the angels announced at Jesus' birth and that Jesus announced after His resurrection more often? Why is it since peace is available, since Jesus comes announcing it, since the angels announce it, that He's the Prince of Peace and all of that, why does my life, why does my heart still feel like a tumultuous open ocean so frequently? And Jesus is going to address that. And while, while we can't say that our story is exactly the story of these disciples, there are enough similarities that Jesus' words here are going to matter to us. We might have the same things getting in the way in our hearts that the disciples have getting in the way of their hearts. So the second thing is that our fear and doubts are a barrier to that peace and joy. Our fear and doubts are a barrier. Now look, this is not how to make people feel guilty. This is just to make us go, yeah, that's probably right. This is not, oh, on top of not feeling peace, now I have to feel bad about having doubts and fears. No, that's not how Jesus treats people. But rather an understanding that if there is a lack of peace, a lack of joy, that the, the disconnect is not on Jesus' end. That Jesus is not keeping you from peace and joy. But rather... We're just not perfect. We don't see clearly. And as fear and doubt wells up in our hearts, we too act like the disciples. Look at 37 and 38. But, when, uh, but they were startled and frightened and they thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Isn't that funny? They haven't said that, but Jesus just knows what's going on. It's like, I see what's going on here. Why are, why are you so troubled? I even think that word troubled, Jesus in the upper room, just like a few days ago, had told them, let not your hearts be yeah, troubled. And now here they are with troubled hearts. Our fears and doubts might be based on slightly different things, but we might be more like these, these people than we think. Their fear is based on the side of their rabbi who was murdered days before, uh, day before yesterday maybe, and who is now standing in front of them looking great. Scars healed. And while that startled them, the startling led to fear, which led to confusion. And in fact, now they're so confused, they're like, ah, a ghost. They thought they saw a spirit. A couple quick things about that as a little aside, and I promise not to take too long. But first of all, this is not the first time that they had thought that. Do you remember Jesus walking on the storm? And as it comes, they were afraid because they thought they saw a ghost. They thought that the person walking towards them was an apparition. And, and I wonder if Luke isn't going, this is still where we are. There's still same fear. There's still, look, this is not a one-time solution. It's not like, good, there I solved the fear in my heart. I'll have peace the rest of my life. But rather, we might have the capacity to need to learn these lessons daily, to keep Jesus in the center of our lives daily. But also, I wonder if Luke's inclusion of that line that they thought they saw a spirit had something to grow. I don't know when Luke's writing, uh, you know, maybe <clears throat> 20 years, 30 years after the event. And, and the, this Gnostic heresy is starting to formulate. Gnosticism is a, is a you know, Greek philosophy that really takes hold in the second century. But here in the first century, these ideas are, are kind of percolating and all around. And one of the big ideas about Gnosticism is that Matter is bad and spirit is good. So how they handled Jesus was, well, maybe Jesus wasn't really physical. Maybe he was just a spirit. And I wonder if Luke goes, no, no, we have, we have evidence. They thought that day one, but Jesus reassured them that 
He wasn't. So he says, well, hey, see my hands, see my feet. So in their confusion, Jesus addresses their hearts. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise? And I don't know this for sure, but I wonder if Jesus is doing more than just accusing them. Like, I don't see Jesus going, come on, dummies, why are you afraid? It's me. Rather, Jesus wants them to stop and pause and go think about it. Why are you afraid? Where's this doubt coming from? Is it wrong to be afraid? I mean, it says they were startled. You'd be startled too. If it's wrong, we're all wrong. They're startled and it leads to fear and they're confused and they don't have a category for this quite yet. And while we do have a category for the resurrected Savior, I bet stuff happens in your life all the time that you don't have a category for. Stuff happens all the time that you go, what do I do with this now? I didn't know we were here. And here we are. Is it wrong to have doubts? No. Oh, yes. No. John the Baptist was like, hey, I'm not sure that's really the Christ. And then when he sent his friends to check with Jesus, Jesus was like, John rules. John is awesome. Not one bit of stupid John with his doubts. Not a bit of it. You don't know everything. You're going to have doubts. But if we want to move past fear and doubt, and not let those things define us, but rather, when we're startled, when doubt comes, what do we do with it to move past it? Not to ignore it, not to shelve it, but rather to get, you know, the only way out of it's all the way through it. The, the way we get through that kind of stuff, to not let fear and doubt define us, especially we don't want to let fear and doubt rob us of our faith or to let fear and doubt rob us of peace and joy that Jesus is offering, it is really helpful to stop and ask the question, why am I troubled? Why am I doubting? What's going on? Because your options are either stop, pause, and think about it, or just live your life in light of fear and doubt. Instead of letting fear and doubt spin out of control, the disciples need to stop and go, why am I feeling this way? Jesus says, hey, why, why is that? Whatever it is that's causing us to fear, fear the future, money challenges, relational challenges, overcoming your past, whatever fear there is, it's important for us to stop and go, hey, why am I fear? Why, why, why is fear in my heart? Whatever it is that's causing you doubt, unanswered prayer, the problem of suffering and pain, difficult Bible passages, failure in Christian leaders, your own failure, unbelief that just kind of seems to nip at your heels throughout your life, whatever it is, it's good to stop and go, why am I feeling this? Because that gives you a chance to go, why am I feeling this in light of the resurrected Savior? Do you understand? It might be important. In fact, I would say it's absolutely necessary for us to stop occasionally before we start living our life in fear of doubt. Because we will let doubt run our lives. We will let doubt make decisions for us. We will let anger and fear and bitterness, we will let them make the decisions in our lives. And it is much healthier to stop and go, why am I feeling this way? And then to see like the resurrected Savior in front of us and go, in light of Him, Is it proper for me to doubt? Is it proper for me to fear? 
Should I be afraid with all of the information? To stop and say, how do my fears and doubts stack up to the truth of the resurrection? I say it flippantly, but I never mean it flippantly. To go, hey, the tomb's empty. You go, so's the bank account. Yeah, I know. But the tomb is empty. What should we fear? This is why the psalmist says things before the empty tomb. Just in light of the power of God, the psalmist is going to say, to whom shall I fear? The psalmist is going to say things like, though the oceans rage and foam, yet I will trust you. Why? Because our fears, our doubts, the chaos of this life just doesn't stack up to the goodness of God. Just doesn't stack up to his greatness. Like lift our eyes over the hills. God is so good. And not only is God so good, but the resurrection is so complete that we have to run our doubts, our fears through the filter of an empty tomb. And goes, there's still something to be afraid of. So let's look at how Jesus moves his disciples from fear and doubt to faith so that they can experience this peace that he comes announcing. And starting verse 39 to about 45, he goes, See my hands and feet, that it is I myself. I love that. His, he's not bleeding. The wounds are maybe scarred. They've completely healed. He looks fantastic. Resurrection body. And, and yet they're there. The evidence of his sacrifice is still there. But there's been healing. I don't want to get too... I don't want to put too much analog in this. I don't, want to, I don't want to make this too metaphorical. But I wonder if that's not the picture. Are we looking to, like, to, to make things like they never happened? Or are we just looking for healing? In the resurrected Savior. It is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones. You see, I have. They're like, yep, flesh, bones, got it. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy. Isn't that a great line? Disbelieved for joy? No way. No way. I don't have a category for this. I don't believe it. Hey, uh. Uh, relative, you didn't know, just left you a billion dollars. No way. You would disbelieve for joy. I might need more evidence. So he gives it to them. They disbelieve for joy and were marveling. And he said to them, have you anything to eat? They give him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it before him. And he said to them, these are my, uh, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scripture. So what's he do? Notice, first of all, that Jesus addresses their fear and doubt not by berating them or shaming them, but rather by giving them convincing evidence for the resurrection. So just let me say it this way as plainly as I can. If you're experiencing fear and if you're experiencing doubt, and if you're piling guilt on that because there's a voice in your head going, you've been a Christian too long for this. How dare you doubt? How dare you have fear? This makes you a bad Christian. That's not Jesus. It's the other guy. Because Jesus goes, check out my hands. Got anything to eat? I'm alive. In whom shall you fear? That kind of like 
adding guilt, adding I'm a bad person on top of fear and doubt. So instead of going, whoo, why, why am I afraid right now? Why am I experiencing these doubts? I need to think about this in light of the empty tomb, in light of the resurrected Savior. Instead of doing that, going, oh, I'm experiencing fear and doubt. Guess I'm not a very good donkey. I'm like, I'm a bad person because I doubt. I'm a bad person. It's not helpful. And Jesus knows it. So Jesus says, well, moving past fear and doubt looks like this. First of all, observe. When you stop, when you're experiencing fears and doubts, it's not be a bad thing to do. But let's first talk about what he does with them. Jesus says, see, touch, eat. Sensory stuff. Just observe. What do you see? Jesus doesn't go, you're bad because you don't think right. No, he goes, okay, 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 let's give you data. Touch my hands. Look at my feet. Got some fish? I'm allergic. (laughs) And then he says, not only observe, but remember. Remember, the Scriptures testified to this. This is what it said in the Psalms, guys. This is what it said in the prophets. This was always going to happen. Not only that, but remember the words that I said to you while we were walking around Galilee and Jerusalem. This is what I said was going to happen. And you can imagine that that was difficult to remember at the time, just in the chaos of the day. So Jesus goes, first of all, observe. What do you see? And then remember, remember, guys. What have you heard? And then consider it. Then the same line that we heard in the on the road to Emmaus, just like the road to Emmaus, he says, he opened up their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. The Old Testament knowledge builds faith in Jesus. You might think about that. Why do I read the Old Testament? Well, it builds faith in Jesus. It helps you trust God. I don't understand it. Eh, read it. It builds faith. So, look at me. I'm alive. And remember what you learned. And then let me help you understand how this all fits together. And I wonder if when you and I are experiencing fear and doubt, a similar path might be healthy. That we would first observe. Like, let yourself off the hook. Pretend you don't believe it going into the conversation. Like, just pretend you're just hearing this or or whatever. Like, do you believe that Jesus is alive? No easy answers. Like, do you believe that Jesus... Like, I'm experiencing a bunch of fear and doubt. Okay, is Jesus alive or not? Let's start there. Yeah, but what does is, what is Jesus being alive have to do with this problem over here and this problem over here and this difficult relationship and this struggle and the fear of the future and what do I do with my past? Oh, it has everything. Just start here. Is Jesus alive? Just observe it. And I'm sure, like me, you wish that you too could see it with your own eyes, that you were in that room getting to touch his hands. From our perspective, without visual and tactical evidence, the testimony of these men to the resurrection is what we have. So, do you trust them or not? There's no Awana badges being passed out. Doesn't matter. Tell the truth. Do you believe it? It's interesting when, when um, John writes 1 John, he starts with, we didn't make this up. 
I'm telling you about the man that we saw, that we heard, we touched him, we followed him. He's telling you, hey, 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 I was there, I felt him, I touched him, I heard him, I followed him. When Peter writes 2 Peter in uh, 2 Peter 1, 16 and following, um, it says, these are not cleverly devised stories, but this is what we heard, saw, marveled at, we saw his glory. These are firsthand accounts. Do you believe it? I'm not allowed to believe it for you. The person sitting next to you might have a wonderful, faith-filled spouse. And you go, I just don't know. You're allowed to not know, but figure it out. Do you believe it? We're talking about getting past fear and doubt here, and it starts with, is Jesus alive or not? Is the tomb empty or ain't it? And then remember. Remember the prophetic cry of the Old Testament prophets crying out for a Savior. Remember the Psalms of Lament that you're allowed to pray, God, why does everybody surround me? Where are you? Please do something. Remember the royal Psalms. You're enthroned and encrowned. Remember the covenant promises of God. Does God's promise-keeping nature, is Jesus alive and then do you trust the promise-keeping nature of God? Not only is Jesus alive, but can you trust him? Like, do you see how this exercise is very important day to day? Can you trust him or not? If you can't, you're on your own. Be afraid. Like, everything is scary. Of you, what, of, if, if you can't trust God, whom shall you fear? Everyone and every day. But if Jesus is alive, if the tomb is empty, and you can trust him, then consider. Consider the resurrection of Jesus, the love of God in your life. Do you remember how Philippians 2 starts? Says it's going to talk about unity in the church and the character of Christ. And it says, if there's any reason for hope, this is how you should live. You should not pretend to not be afraid. You should not pretend to not have doubts. You should look them right in the eye and go, are you tougher than my God? And if it is, then act on it. I don't know. Be afraid. Go rob a bank. I don't know. I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do. Yeah. Don't rob a bank. That was on YouTube. I'm not for <laughs> bank robbing in general. <laughs> But if you look at it and go, man, this is terrifying. And man, these doubts are real and I'm really struggling. But in light of the empty tomb, it just loses to the might and power of the God who conquered death. You just have to decide. There has to be a toughness here. There has to be a continual, everyday tenderness as you decide, should you live your life in the light of fear and doubt, or should you live your light, uh, live your life in light of the truth of the living Savior? David and I were talking before church, and one of the things we're reflecting on is, man, it's possible. It's just one of the most noteworthy things about being a Christian is that. Um, Am I experiencing like great faith and the joy of the Lord and, and, and trusting Him? Yes. Also, is life difficult and burdensome? Yeah, they're not mutually exclusive. 
This isn't about not having fears and doubts. It's about understanding that the resurrected Savior is bigger than your fears and doubts. Is there peace available? No matter the circumstances in light of the living Savior? Is there joy available to you even if you have suffered setbacks in your life? Well, how do you get there? This is all great. Grant, we're in. We believe Jesus is alive. Believe He's powerful. Bigger than the troubles I face. What do I do? How do I actually live in that? I'm going to give you some really practical advice, but you, it might be difficult. And it's not difficult because you have to stand on one hand and float a you know, spaceship while you do it. It's not that kind of difficult. It's difficult because it's so simple. This next portion of Scripture that Jesus says feels a lot like 1 Corinthians 15. It feels a lot like an early creed. And it says, And He said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in His name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of My Father upon you, it's the Holy Spirit, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high, until the Holy Spirit comes. So, pretty simple. None of this is earth-shattering for Christian folk. We're church folk. We know this. Jesus suffered and died. We have the opportunity to repent and live different and experience the forgiveness that He, that he gives us. And we're called to spread this news and the Holy Spirit will be here to help. Anything up there earth-shattering? When you're racked with fear, this is where you land. Stay there. Yeah, but what about... Nope, nope, stay there. Over and over and over. It's true or it's not. If it's true, you're going to be fine. If it's not true, who cares? You're done. Do you believe this? Do you mean it or not? This is not the way to never have fear and doubt again. This is the way to when fear and doubt comes, go, okay, Grant. Jesus suffered and died. If I've repented, I'm experiencing His forgiveness. He's called me to a missional life. This is what my life is about. The Holy Spirit is upon me and in me. And in light of that, I'm going to be okay. And there is a peace, that shalom. Shalom is not the absence of problems. Shalom is the wholeness in the face of problems. There's a stubbornness in faith. There's only this and nothing else. If you need to stubbornly meditate on this, if you need to, to memorize this passage and, and when fear comes, you just stare at it and read it, then do it. The world is a disaster. People are hard to deal with. Nobody thinks exactly like you, and that makes everything difficult. Yeah. It'd be worse if they thought exactly like me. <laughs> and tragedy comes to every family. And 
we don't see clearly, doubt's going to be there. But does this make a difference in your life or not? Do you see the toughness that meditating on the empty tomb brings? Living in light of the resurrection of Jesus does not mean you look out at the horizon and go, because Jesus is alive, everything's tulips and you know, butterflies and sunsets. It's just all so easy, a nice trail going through. I know what to do. That's, that's not living in light of the resurrection. Living in light of the resurrection is to wake up and look at actual seaside. And go, yep, whatever comes my way, I'm going to be okay because the tomb is empty. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, your name is holy. You're above, you are the most high God. Lord, you are above and greater than. We can't think of superlative words that do you justice. There aren't words to put to your greatness. And the world is crashing in all the time and keeping our eyes fixed on you, the author and perfecter of our faith, is a challenge. But God, we want peace. We want joy. We confess that it is only available in you. So God, would you teach us to return over and over and over again to the truth, the historic truth of your resurrection that might give us hope and peace and joy despite what the world's thrown at us. God, teach us. Some of us need to just take these first baby steps in overcoming this stuff. Others, Lord, have been doing this a long time and, and still need reminding. But God, would you draw us back to the simple truth of the empty tomb that's at the very heart of our faith, that we might grow courage to live for you in peace and joy with the time you give us here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.